work out with Bruce Dobigan. I'm Bruce Dobigan, and this is where curiosity leads me. If you enjoy these podcasts, do go to iTunes under Not the Public Podcast and subscribe. We're also available on a number of your other favorite platforms. 20 years ago, I moved to Calgary to work for the Herald in what was, I didn't know it then, the sad coda for the traditional media model. I then went on to the Globe and Mail, just as they decided that sports was irrelevant to their readership. As one of many journalists affected by the death of the daily newspaper and other media outlets in Canada, I noted the news in the federal budget that the Liberal government is, and I quote, proposing $50 million over five years to support independent, non-governmental organizations who will spur on local journalism in underserved communities. They also said that those in large towns and cities whose media outlets are also struggling with the pace of change, well, the Liberals are promising a review of the funding models available to them as well. Now, this is concerning on many levels. Most of the losses in conventional media stem from the mainstream media's tardiness in getting on board with digital product or the budget-slashing measures they instituted after getting swamped by free online product. Some newspapers have stanched the bleeding with firewalls and their own presence, and the Trump phenomenon has been a boon to the news industry, too. Still, the liberal plans seem fairly ridiculous. After all, what could go wrong with the government handing out candy to the people who are supposed to be covering them? Peter Menzies is one of my old bosses at the Calgary Herald and whatever the parrot company is called this week. He's been a reporter, editor, and publisher in his career. Recently, he left the CRTC after sitting on its board, and he's currently the director of the Royal Saskatchewan Museum. He's well-placed to talk about what went wrong and why and how we can avoid having just the CBC as our main news outlet in Canada. He joins us on this episode of The Full Cat with Bruce Dobigan. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Bruce. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. First of all, give us your condensed version of why traditional media failed the challenge of digital. Uh, it failed to adapt. Uh, it's pretty straightforward in terms of that. You had a very disruptive time and things that happened extremely quickly. Um, and it just wasn't able to adapt. Didn't have the skills, didn't have the inclination, um, and didn't have the motivation or the, or the proper um, ownership structure. Yeah, I mean, I can remember at the time arguments with people at, at the newspapers and people said, well, you know what? The people still want that newspaper on their door every day. Uh, they want to see that on the doorstep, the hard newspaper, etc. And we just can't go away from that model. Um, you know, I heard, I heard that for a long time. Were, were there things that could have been done to, to marry both, both technologies? Well, it was a pretty deeply embedded culture. You'd probably remember um, when we were trying to, when we were first uh, owned by Can West, we were trying to get people just to do mini clips that kind of teased their stories in the paper the next day to, to put on global news in the evening. And people really resisted that. They didn't like the idea that you would... Uh, not that you would scoop yourselves essentially those are some pretty deeply embedded uh, characteristics about the traditional newsroom which frankly had a <clears throat> a pretty good sense of its it didn't suffer for a lack of self-confidence and uh and that's and was pretty certain that it was a superior entity to most broadcasting media in that sense so it was it was just impossible for it to get its head around the fact that it uh, I don't know, it was, it was like when a Tyrannosaurus Rex staring at this meteor in the sky, wondering what the heck is that? <laughs> now, people in Toronto seem to feel that well, everything's okay. They still have all the newspapers they ever had. They have all the TV stations and radio stations, plus digital now. But, of course, outside of Toronto, it's a very different story. Can, can you sum up the state of Toronto's, uh, of today's local media in Canada outside of Toronto? 
Oh, it's weak. I mean, <clears throat> a city the size of Toronto can generate enough local advertising um, revenue to support a lot of media. But I mean, let's be fair, the National Post only exists because it has been living off the profits that were once made in Calgary, Regina, Saskatoon, Edmonton, um, wherever. Um, the, the, the Post has not been a, a profitable venture since its time um, and is only there because of the money that came out of the so-called regional papers. But certainly outside the Metro Toronto area, um, it's not a pretty sight. Uh, Transcontinental, for instance, one of the biggest publishers down east, has been divesting itself of all of its uh, newspaper assets and people are generally fleeing to whatever safe haven they can find. Uh, well, I talked a little bit earlier in my introduction about the uh, Liberal government's proposal, $50 million over five years to support what they call independent non-governmental organizations who will spur on local journalism under in, in underserved communities. What, what does that mean and how could they do that? Um. <laughs> it means it means we uh, uh, I guess that the cynical view is that it means we can say we did something when we didn't really um, and we've we're holding out the promise that we might do something uh, really the only thing wrong with this is that they did anything at all um, the the good news in a sense is that it's uh, it, 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 it make it will make no difference the bad news is that it's a waste of 50 million dollars that could have gone into, you know, extension of uh, broadband to, you know, remote communities or something like something sensible. Um, for government, I sat in on uh, a meeting last year in Ottawa that had a lot of government officials and had a lot of the, 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 the primary publishers and that sort of stuff talking about that. And one of the issues that came up that made some government officials very uncomfortable was the idea that they would be now put in a position if they got into this where they had to define what journalism actually was. Right. They would have to decide who was designated to be a journalism uh, journalist and who wasn't. And interestingly enough in the room, it was not the journalistic organizations that were worried about that. It was the government people who didn't want, who didn't want to get into that. And with this fund, they would also have to um, they'd have to define what an underserved or unserved community is, um, by what and how. And then, of course, you're, if it's like most government programs, you're going to have to divide it into two-thirds English and one-third French and probably have a little set aside for some Indigenous products and some third-language products. So by the time you go through that, there's nothing there at all. I mean, when I was editor-in-chief of the Calgary Herald 20 years ago, it costs $12 million a year to run a newsroom of 125 people. This is $10 million a year to be split two thirds, one third across the country. Yeah. They're also promising, or maybe I should say threatening <laughs> in large towns and cities whose media outlets are also struggling with the pace of change. And I'm quoting here, of course, the liberals promising a review of funding models available to them as well. This, just to a lot of people on the outside, sounds like that they're propping up uh, Paul Godfrey and post media. Or yeah, that would be that would be a big mistake. Um, I did. Uh, I wrote something last fall um, indicating that there was if they were first of all, they should do nothing. Um, they should let nature follow its course, uh, particularly with post media, which has a really, really problematic ownership structure um, in, 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 and w which has accelerated the demise of print, in my view, in, in, in Canada. 
Um, and that's that's just not an area they want to they want to go into at all. There are things that if you want to do something that you can do that might make a difference. Um, and they involve the CBC, but yeah. they should really um, print his print is pretty much done. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it there that your article for Troy Media last September talking about different solutions. Uh, in it, you talk about CBC, and they were thought to be under the ro on the ropes, rather, under Prime Minister Harper, but then they get this boost from Mr. Trudeau. First of all, I guess, how did you assess their role as an honest broker about this funding story during the election? How did I assess the CBC's role yeah. as an honest broker during the most recent federal election? Yeah. Yeah. I, to be honest, I don't watch. I don't watch it a lot. Um, I find generally um, the CBC just tends to display the same sort of bias that most media tend to display. Is that most reporters are probably would find themselves, um, and most studies indicate that they are, on uh, the left of the center in terms of the spectrum. Now, people can be whatever they they want to be. That's not an issue there, but they need to conduct themselves professionally um, despite, but I don't find them to be actually that much different than uh, say a CTV or um, say, say CTV, I think global is probably a little better. Mm. I mean, they were all compromised if they knew that the government was going to be throwing some financing their way, they were all compromised by how they covered the story. And uh, honestly, I didn't see that much. I didn't see that much uh, self-awareness as they did those pieces. I, I think they believe that they were being honest, but in that way that they have of sort of being in that nice little bubble, they don't know when they're being honest brokers and when they're just basically doing the party line. Yeah, I think that's a big problem for them. I mean, I think Andrew Coyne's actually been been the one person in print who's been been pretty steady and solid on this sort of stuff. When you take somebody's money, you are in a conflict of interest, whether it's um, through through a piece of legislation, whether it's arm's length or not. As a journalist, sometimes it's unavoidable. I mean, you take advertisers' money; there's a potential conflict there, right? Um, you just need to be upfront and apparent about it, and earns people's trust despite it. Um, because you're always going to get criticized for it. Everybody has revenue sources. Um, you just need to be clear where the firewall is in terms of that. And when you're covering a story about yourself, like the CBC was, or a few years ago, like CTV and Global were about the Save Local TV campaign they had going on with the CRTC, it's a big problem. And um, all media are suffering from that these days and that the level of public trust in them is just in a death spiral. I think a lot of the people who were, who were listening to the debate during the election felt when they were talking about the CBC money, oh, good, well, they're sending money, it's going to prop up radio and TV and local markets, etc. But as, as you say in a piece in Troy Media, you talk about how the CBC, in fact, used that money, not for TV and radio particularly, but instead to basically buy up digital news and dominate the online market. How, how did that work? Well, that's a that's a strategic business decision they made, which frankly is, I mean, it's a good business decision and others should have done and others are following. David Aiken of Global posted some data on Twitter the other day that showed basically that in terms of the online news market, that CBC was well out in front of anybody else with about 20% of the market share. Um, Global was next with about 13%, I think, but they had grown by about 32% in the last year. So others are trying to catch up now. But CBC moved into that because television is not, first of all, radio has no revenue attached to it because they don't do advertising there. 
and television is uh, not as doesn't give the same return on the investment in future years as online does. So they've basically become an online newspaper and they're eating the private sector's lunch. You had some helpful suggestions in your piece, which so far I think have gone on deaf ears. But anyhow, I, I appreciated the suggestions about how to preserve CBC while giving up, uh, giving the private side some help. Uh, go through that sort of recipe that you were suggesting. Well, the CBC should be out of, I mean, broadcasters have asked this for years, the private sector broadcasters. Um, why should I be paying taxes to support my competitor who's then funded, you know, in, in terms of the, the advertising market? So... I think uh, CBC should be completely um, banned from collecting domestic advertising. They could be like the BBC, for instance. If you if you go online to the BBC websites from Canada, you will be exposed to advertising. But if you go on the BBC um, website in Britain, you will not. Um, so they could collect it internationally, but not domestically. And um, the government may wish to replace that money, which is in the neighborhood of $350 million dollars, for all of their plat for all of their 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 television um, assets um, to to sort of buy them out from that that money would be freed up for the private sector to compete for they probably wouldn't get all of that but they would get some um, but then primarily the CBC content or uh, news content that's produced through public funding I don't think should have domestic copyright protection. So it would be available to small weekly newspapers in Iqaluit, um or daily newspapers or anybody anywhere in terms of that news. And then the remaining news organizations could focus their investment on their local news in that sense. That's not a perfect solution, but it's, it's more sensible than anything else. Uh, just a couple of things to finish up with. Would, would you sense that uh, we're getting a little closer to the next federal election? Would you sense that it would be a good position for Mr. Scheer and the Conservatives to take that they would not be doing this support for journalism? Do you think that is a, that is a, a vote-getter, that's an appealing position that they should take? I think it's an appealing position. I think, I, I think it's probably a, a dangerous one because, um, unfortunately, a lot of journalists are still... Many argue, a surprising number argue in favor of propping up um, the, the, the status quo, which just isn't sensible. But uh, I would think that letting nature follow its course, and if you were going to invest in anything, you would invest in helping people transition to digital, which so far newspapers have not been very good at uh, compared to broadcast media. Newspapers trail badly in, uh, in Canada. Finally, finally, who survives? Who, who, who are the people who are going to survive this? Can you pick out the people on the private side who are going to, who are going to survive this? Well, in terms of, in terms of some of the, the smaller regional media, there's some evidence of some pretty good uh, digital products. I think if you wanted to look one up, it's used as an example here and there. It's out of Prince Albert. PA Now is what it's called, and it was originally created by a Rolco radio station. It doesn't look like a radio station website. It looks like a local news website. Um, Golden West is another radio company that's basically been a real problem for a lot of weekly newspapers and smaller centers across the prairies um, where they have most of their ownership and that they've launched websites through their, their local radio stations. And they've been um, taking the place of newspapers in terms of that. So 
the person who's the most innovative and the smartest and provides the best and most trustworthy news is the one who's going to win. And that's not new. I, I noticed you didn't mention uh, Global or, or CTV. Uh, is, is there a reason for that? Are they too big? Are they too, are they too married to a traditional format to survive in, in their current form? Well, the, the, the difference with those companies is that with some of those television companies is and the difference between television and newspapers, in my view, has always been that television companies are primarily an entertainment medium who do news. Um, newspapers have been primarily a news and information medium who does some entertainment um, and, and sports in addition to that. So it's a different type of core product. And it depends whether they will compete and do well if they see the possibility that it will pay its own way. If they don't, um, they won't. But uh, obviously, Global sees an opportunity there through Shaw Media because they've invested heavily in the last year in terms of the quality of their product. Yeah, you, you would sense that there's always got to be a market for local news. People want their local news, uh, the weather, traffic, whatever it is, uh, that there's got to be a profit model for it. Uh, you just wonder how, how far we have to crash down before we can start to rebuild that. And as you say, a couple of these models maybe are pointing the way for that in the future. Well, and there's, there's other externalities, um, uh, other exogenous factors going on there, like uh, the manner in which Google um, dominates and soaks up advertising revenue the way Facebook does it. I mean, I actually think there, there's a reasonable argument to be made that um, Facebook could launch its own news service as the others die off because everybody said, where, every, people say, well, where would Facebook be if they couldn't, uh, you know, repost the Globe and Mail or the National Post or the CBC or CTV stories and thought, well, if they run out of those, they'll, they've got enough money, they could just start their own. But again, you kind of get into a, a different type of megalopoly there. So it's not, there's no, there's no easy answers to this. It's a disruptive time. It's chaotic. And um, we just have to look for order to be restored um, out of the chaos. And we need stories like Mr. Trump to come along, which is propping up, which is propping up traditional media in the United States. If you've got well, a good story, it, people will find it. It is. It is. And uh, yes. Um, the New York Times and the Washington Post were supposed to be dead three years ago, according to Mr. Trump, anyhow, and some other people. And uh, they seem to be thriving on that that recipe of of anti-Trump stuff. And we've, I guess, I guess the the point would be, I guess we're also heading to a period of, of of parochial journalism where people like the New York Times and the Washington Post have basically abandoned the middle and and have basically become cheerleaders for a side. Yeah, there's definitely been. Um, I mean, people always had their biases, and I mean, their traditions here and there. I mean, in Toronto, the Star has always been, it's part of its charter to be the Liberal paper. The Globe was always sort of the progressive conservative paper, and, and the Sun was the more working class, blue collar, um, blue conservative type of paper. But it didn't, it didn't see it so much reflected in an average news story. Most of the average news stories were pretty fair. And now more and more you're seeing in, in some of the bigger media just the complete abandonment of pretense uh, around objectivity in the construction of in the construction of news stories, which of course leads to the accusation of fake news, mm -hmm. which further spirals down the reputation of media. So people, even when they're told the truth, don't believe it. Yeah, we're not we're not there yet, but I have a sense that uh, the election of Doug Ford might be be a, a spur towards even more parochial journalism in Canada. We may adopt the the United States model. I, I I suspect it's going to be a very interesting election in how it's covered in Ontario and certainly across the country. Well, it's, and of course, fascinating these days in that most of the reporters covering it have already displayed and declared their biases on Twitter. Yeah.
right? So we now know who to believe and who not, depending Peter, on your perspective. Peter, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to The Full Count with Bruce Dobigan. Our guest this week is former editor, publisher, and CRTC commissioner, Peter Menzies. Don't forget to subscribe to The Full Count on all our podcasts at iTunes and on my website, notpublicbroadcaster.com. You can also access my columns, my poetry, and uh, my podcasts on that site. Also, I'm appearing three times a week with Jeff Salmon on Sirius XM Radio Canada Talks. I'm on at noon Eastern Time, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I'll post those conversations on my website as well. Till the next time, this is Bruce Dobigan, and remember, the story isn't complete till it reaches the full count.